If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Alrighty, another episode of Sperm Donation World. Today I'm not talking to anyone sperm donor related, but they're very health related. And uh, I came across this man listening to on many podcasts that I listen to and I came across his health podcast and a man called Ken Israel featured on there. And me, everyone who knows me, I'm an absolute vitamin fiend. So this guy was speaking my language and I sent him out, I tried to hunt him down and stalk him down and I sent him out a Facebook uh, message and it sat there idling for over a year and he finally uh, decided to check his messages or his message request folder and uh, ta-da, here we are today. Welcome, Ken. Really good to be here, Adam, and thank you once again for your patience and my terrible manners and not responding. There's so many channels of social media these days and I um, you know, can only pay attention to so much. Good things come to those who wait. <laughs> Look, it's it's interesting, like, you know, reached out, and uh, you're you're currently in Uzbekistan, and we're trying to navigate this podcast. And I'm like, Uzbekistan. This is the first time I've ever spoken to someone's currently residing in a in a country like that. I mean, what are you doing in Uzbekistan? It... Let's see. Well, I first came to Uzbekistan about um, 17 years ago. I started dating a young lady, um, and she was from here. She grew up here, so we decided to visit her her folks. Um, I came back, and, and it, was, it was honestly a horror show. It was, it was a bit of a mess. This was during a very corrupt and oppressive regime. Um, so I went back to my home in Southern California. We came and visited again. And then I guess about maybe four years ago, we kind of came to the decision, our, our family, that things in the U.S. had just gotten a little too heated for the time being. Um, and we were looking for someplace else to raise our kids and to experience our lives. And we said, well, why not go back? There's new leadership in the country and it's just been amazing here. It's been really, really cool. The people are kind, they're warm, they're humble. The food's amazing. The climate's a little tough. It's continental extreme. It gets blisteringly hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter, which is not my Mediterranean environment of SoCal, but um, I like it here. I like it here a lot. Wow. I've never set foot in there, but geez, um, you sell not to me. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a cool place. Tremendous history here. It was like, it was the major node on the Silk Roads 2000 years ago. So every bit of culture and idea came through here and was transformed by being here. So you have this rich archaeological and historic and cultural history of kind of this East meets West meets North meets South ideas from Africa and Scandinavia China, London, Persia, Baghdad, all of it came rolling through here and influenced it from Genghis Khan to Alexander the Great. And there was some home talent as well, Amir Timur and Ulubek, some really incredible people. So it's worth reading about. It's a really cool part of the world. Yeah, look, I've never really thought about reading it. You sound it to me. It sounds impressive. Uh, so you're creating your own bit of history, I guess, over there now, uh, being a, a famous uh, person in the, the form of the uh, vitamin and supplement world. Uh, give us a bit of an introduction of how you got involved with that and uh, what, what your current role is and, you know, what what do you, you know, I can tell you're very passionate in this this field and obviously key sure. ingredients is important to you. So 
Uh, tell us all about that. Sure, sure. Well, it started about 35 years ago in an economics class. I had a teacher that asked me to write a paper and I picked pure competition and used agricultural commodities as a model for that. And the teacher said, excellent paper, your model works. Here's the C. It's like, what? He's <laughs> like, it's boring. There's nothing inspiring here. Show me, show me where your model breaks. Show me where your model doesn't work. And this was back in the 1980s. So I started exploring the food world and found organic food. And organics was like, it, it was rare and unusual and kind of quirky, like, you know, weird people ate that and, you know, rich people ate that. Um, so I explored it and I had an, a, an encounter with a gentleman who became my best friend and mentor. Um, and he was an herbalist and nutritionist working at a, the local health food store. And long story short, my, 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 my visit into organics made me quit economics and I landed up becoming an herbalist and nutritionist. I tried to become a clinician um, practicing with people, but I didn't really have the aptitude of the patients for that. I like to move things fast and people need patience when you're working with them. That's what they're called patients. Um, but I loved the tools. So I became a product developer and a formulator, um, started working with local doctors, compounding nutritional and herbal formulas for them. I ultimately got picked up by one of the major brands in the US to lead product development for them and embraced that role. From there, I went into contract manufacturing of dietary supplements, and that's where most products get built. So I was kind of doing product development and business development for clients on a really fast pace and big scale for about 12 years, working for one of the largest contract manufacturers in the US. Um, and then I branched off on my own about eight years ago and started just consulting in product development, business development. Um, and throughout my career, I've also been involved in regulatory affairs. So I'm, a, um, I'm on one of the boards at the largest, oldest trade association serving the natural products industry. It's called the Natural Products Association here in the U.S. And I sit on their comply committee, which is compliance, product and label integrity, which is kind of where FDA... FTC and industry um, get together to discuss the the agenda for enforcement and regulation and what we can do better and you know where the regulators are messing up sometimes it's not always friendly sometimes it's contentious but um, I've had an amazing career and opportunity and the chance to very fortunately impact a lot of lives in helping people uh, you know access really high quality dietary supplement products. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing resume. You mentioned looking into organic foods and fruits and all that. And I hear a lot of people who are reluctant against vitamins and supplements and they say, oh, look, it's just rubbish, just eat a healthy diet and you'll be fine. Now, looking at the way we mass produce food these days, soil quality constantly turning over, you know, all these nutrients are getting sucked from these grounds that they're constantly being yes. growing on. Uh, you know, so eating, uh, say, a banana or an apple or a fruit back in the 1950s or 60s compared to eating it today off, you know, in the 2020s, is these fruits, although, you know, they're probably just as filling and, 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 and that, but are they lacking the same amount of nutrient levels that these fruits would have had in better quality soils back in the day that haven't been mass produced on? Well, let me answer this in 
three ways, <laughs> if I may. Um, going back to the thesis of your question, vitamins are rubbish, I can get it from my diet. I ask with a straight face, who? I'm, a, I'm trained as a nutritionist and I know how to make wise choices and I don't, <laughs> I simply don't. And I know better and I live the lifestyle and I've been living it for 35 years. So that's A, number one, who? Back when I started in the field, there was an amazing study out of Rutgers University by professors Furman and Baer. And this was back in the 80s. They compared the nutrient value of commodity foods. You know, I was doing agricultural commodities, so I cited this as one of the major keystone papers supporting my paper. And Furman and Baer recognized that the nutrient value of commodity grains versus their versus their organic alternatives, in some cases, it was a third the nutrients, one third. So even if you're making the right choices and you're not eating organic, you're getting ripped off. If we look, and the third answer I'll give you, if we look in the larger scale, yes, we're depleting the soil. And the situation is frankly frightful. If we're in the space of creating new life, new children's, new generations, um, we need to understand, embrace, and promote regenerative agriculture. Why? Regenerative agriculture goes beyond the food that it produces and looks at the health of the soil. If you talk to the major ag schools globally, they say we really only have about 50 or 60 harvests left on planet Earth if we continue farming the way we farm. We need to rebuild soil health so that it can give us healthy food. Regenerative agriculture does this, and there's a bonus, there's more. When you restore the soil and restore the soil biome, all the carbon that's been unleashed into the atmosphere gets sucked back into the soil because the soil becomes more powerfully, you know, but you know, it becomes a more, much more dynamic biome or, you know, living organism, if you will, or community. So regenerative organics is kind of where I sit 30 years after my initial work. Wow. So how's that for a complicated answer? <laughs> Yeah, I think a few heads have just exploded listening to that, Ken. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it, it makes sense. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we're producing food at a mass scale now to my theory behind all this and us talking today is, is going to have a child. It's something that most of us only do once or twice. You know, maybe some people do a handful. One of those things that you're pregnant for nine months and you've got to be getting your body healthy in the lead up to that in the prior months um, to conceiving to make sure you ensure good sperm quality, good egg quality. And sure. um, incredibly important. But what I say to people is essentially you are what you eat. And like when you're baking a cake, you can have all the ingredients, but if you're missing sugar, it's not going to be sweet. You're missing flour. It's not going to stick together and so on and so forth. There's like eight, so when you're producing a, a, um, an egg or, or sperm, you know, you want to give out the best form of your DNA possible uh, to meet. And then obviously that can create a ch healthy child. And some people go, okay, my child is, well, so and so had a child and they didn't have supplements and they turned out fine. But I mean, it could be the difference between, you know, having a few extra IQ points or being more sharper or being able to be more smarter. I think it even comes down to basic health measures. You know, are they going to be, you know, 
relatively disease free. A lot of that's determined really early on in life. So yeah, you're you're spot on. I mean, it's incredibly important nutritional status of both mom and dad. They both need to be in really good form. Yeah, and uh, you know, your immune system, um, all these things are as a collective, I think all starts from the very beginning as uh, as a uh, you know, you're sort of touching on. Um, so in saying that, we need to get our bodies healthy. So how do we do this? Um, <laughs> you know, big question. You know, I, I think first of all, you know, I, I, as my father taught me when I was learning how to drive, if you want to go forward, you need to take the car out of reverse. <laughs> um, so, you know, basic wise words from a, from, from my dad. Um we need to put step put set aside some of the things that some of us enjoy, um, but that aren't serving our best health. So simple stuff: smoking, having a little bit too much booze, um, recreational drugs. Um, you know, these are fun things. They're part of the human experience, but they're not really conducive to prenatal health, to grow, growing healthy babies. Then we start going into moving things forward, cleaning up the diet, eating high quality proteins, high quality fruits and veg, and lots of fruits and veg. It's estimated that 80% of people don't get five servings of fruits and five servings of veg a day. And that's that's a minimum. That's not like the limit. That's the floor. And most people don't even make it to the floor. Protein, most people consume plenty. Anything above about 0.87 grams per kilogram, which works out to be about maybe 50 to 60 grams of protein a day for most folks, 70 for if you're a little bit bigger is enough. You know, if you're doing extreme sports, you probably need more. If you're become pregnant, you need more, but adequate protein. And then the real tough one for most people on the, on modern diets are high quality fats. Um, we eat a diet that's really high in omega-6 which tends to be inflammatory. We also eat a lot of saturated fats, not so good for you. So focusing on the quality of the fats, unsaturated, polyunsaturated, which means things like avocado and olive oil, kind of Mediterranean diet, lots of seeds and nuts I in the diet. And, and of course, cold water fish, especially for the moms to be. Cold water fish is incredibly important. Um, so salmon is big on the list, anchovy, sardines, a little strong tasting for some folks, but very, very good for you. I love grilled sardines. Um, you know, and, you know, kind of looking at foods that you know, mackerel is another one, again, strong tasting bluefish, but you're looking for shorter lived, cold water, free swimming fish, stay away from the bottom dwellers, you know, the flounders, the scrod, the, uh, and the big predators like, uh, tuna and sword because they will, um, they, they tend to bioaccumulate toxins in their environment. Um, but omega-3 is incredibly important. And we're going to probably talk a little more about omega-3 as we talk about what constitutes a good prenatal. But looking at that diet, and by the way, all of this advice, it's not just the moms, it's the dads too, or dads-to-be, that need to work on that diet. If you want to have healthy sperm and healthy semen, to feed the sperm and help it along its journey, you need to be eating those foods and you need to, you know, frankly, you're going to, you're taking on a kid. You want to be there for 50, 60, 70 years of his life. 
Um, you don't want to, uh, you know, have a kid and run um, if you're going to be an active parent. And if you're a donor, you want to provide the healthiest sperm possible. So maintaining that, that good nutrition and staying away from the toxins is incredibly important. So I'm a sperm donor and I've got many sperm donors in my community and these, these recipients come in and they, you know, um, they ask the donors questions, health questions, uh, mm -hmm. but they're not asking the diet. You know, they're not asking these, these questions. And, you know, this is sort of what this podcast is about today. It's sort of outlining that they need to be asking, hey, do you do you eat this? Or, you know, what fish do you eat? Or, you know, what vitamins and supplements are you, are you taking? And would you recommend if they're not taking anything for the recipient to go out and they're gonna, not going to use them up till three months, three or four months to start getting to take vitamins and supplements, even if they provide it on their own behalf to get, you know, how important it is because what they're consuming is for ultimately for their child that they're going to be having. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's, I, I'm going to say two or three tiers of thinking about this for, for mom-to-be, for the recipient. Number one, if there's serious issues with, say, PMS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is the leading cause of infertility in, in women, those need to be addressed prior to becoming a recipient. So, there, there, there's some lovely plants, amazing herbs. Um, before we went on live, we were talking about ashwagandha for men, which is a Ayurvedic or, or Indian herb that's risen to very, very high regard. As an herbalist and kind of guy in the industry formulating, I've been watching for the last 20 years that Ayurvedic herbs have been the superstars from turmeric and boswella, you know, ashwagandha now, ginger years before. I think Shatavari, is going to arise to um, huge prominence. And Shatavari is kind of the women's ashwagandha. If I was to sum it up, I don't like summing it up that way because dudes can take can take Shatavari too. I'm going to but start taking it. You sold it to me already, Ken. I'm going to start well, taking it. It's one, of, it's one of the many that I'm not taking. So, <laughs> but, yeah. but, for, but for women, it's amazing in that it helps balance the hormonal system. It can help with men too. But for women, Shatavari, some of the classic herbs like um, chase tree berry um, can work really well, Dong Kwai. If there's polycystic ovarian syndrome, high doses of mesoinositol and shiroinositol can be incredibly transformative and in getting the blood glucose under control. So things like chromium and selenium are incredibly important there. So first, balance the hormone system, address PCOS, then we shift into high gear, take that driving analogy again. We got to get the, the, the body revved up and ready for conception. So a prenatal then becomes really, really important. It takes a while to get good body levels, blood levels, and systemic levels of some of these nutrients. Um, a lot of people are living in a state of constant depletion. So getting on a high quality prenatal prior to conception, I look at it as essential. It's a basic. And there's a few things that I look at to determine is this high quality or not. And we could probably unpack that a little bit if you'd like. Uh, we could go off on so many tangents here and I want to cover them all. So yeah, you mentioned polycystic ovary syndrome. You know, for me, yeah. I um, you know, I'm talking to my recipients or prosthetic recipients or recipients in the community in general. And one of the first things we're trying to establish is 
is uh, the timeline. You know, like uh, when am I going? When am I going to donate? Uh, you know, what part of the month are, are your cycles regular? A lot of people, polycystic ovary syndrome, unless they're seeing a, a specialist. There's some doctors that are disregarding because they don't see the cyst on the ovaries uh, rather than the actual symptoms that may lead to the cyst on the ovaries. Uh, So, you know, sometimes I'm diagnosing people um, off the cusp, uh, off the record, well, telling them to go see a specialist to say, it sounds like you've got PCOS. Yeah, Yeah, uh, it sounds like you've got this. And uh, when they say they don't, I sort of go, oh, can you go see another doctor and see? I mean... How how would someone, apart from the irregularity of cycles, is there something? And also with these diet and uh, these ingredients that you listed off, what does that do for someone? Obviously, it's a it's a hormone uh, balancer, and it, obviously it would help regulate. Obviously, if you're getting to regulations, it's probably a more more regular cycle. It's, it's showing that the these are, are working. What are they going to aim for once they've been diagnosed with this and and all these little little cheat hacks out there with these little supplements we've got that can restore or balance. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, just, I, I, I always, I don't recommend Googling. I recommend talking to a practitioner, self-diagnosis, you know, they, they, the old saying is the only attorney who represents himself as a fool for a client. I think the same is true with medicine that we need to get an objective third party, well-trained expert opinion. That said, there are some hallmark symptoms that you could look for. In women, PCOS typically has a constellation of symptoms. There is blood glucose regulation challenges. So maintaining a healthy weight is difficult. Um, People tend to put on weight and keep it on. Testosterone levels tend to run a little high. So if there's excessive body hair, facial hair, that is a red flag for PCOS. Um, heavy, heavy menstrual cycles and painful menstrual cycles. Another red flag for PCOS. Irregular cycles, long cycles also tend to occur there. So if those are the hallmark symptoms that we're we're looking for, um, not everybody with those symptoms or outward appearances has PCOS, but they are indicators. So you want to get diagnosed if you're having problems conceiving or you're having a really miserable time with your monthly cycle. I mean, it shouldn't be terrible. It, you know, tolerable is probably better. And, you know, the the blood glucose issues really, to me, that's the really big concern because over life, that's predisposition for diabetes. The tools that I recommended, things like chromium in the form of chromium picolinate, help sensitize the cells to insulin so that they just work normally and better. Shiro inositol, and you need a significant dose, about 1.3 to 1.6 grams, that can also help with glucose regulation. Iodine is extremely important for the population as well. There's almost always low thyroid function with PCOS or or poor, uh, sometimes autoimmune thyroid issues like Graves' disease. So be careful before you jump on um, iodine, but uh, iodine and tyrosine can be very, very helpful if there's not Graves' disease or Hashimoto's th- um, thyroid problems. Um, Graves is too much thyroid activity, Hashimoto's too little, but both of them are autoimmune conditions that affect the thyroid. So, you know, you want to kind of, that's why you need a, a professional diagnosis 
and get tested, get the blood work, get, get some numbers on these key indicators. And there's actually apps that can help you as well, which is kind of cool. So um, look at the um, online space for some of the period tracker software and women's health and preconception software and daily trackers, you know, measuring your temperature, if you're wearing an aura ring or a smartwatch, something, something like that, those can be brilliant tools to help you take control of your cycle. I, I guess, th does that answer the questions a bit and kind of go, go into that one? Oh yeah, it does. You know, with with um, polycystic ovary syndrome, is you know it's the battle to get pregnant. Once you conceive, then also you you know your your body is is uh, holding a baby, growing it in your body for nine months. So you know you want to oh. keep those levels still monitored, don't you? Is like you know you want to the child growing in that condition. Yeah, you know, I the, the quick answer is yes. Typically, once you know, well. The body is like a bicycle. It's self-correcting and likes to stay up and straight. So once you've corrected PCOS, typically the body reverts to a nice, normal, healthy cycle. There's some sort of deficiency or challenge that causes it, but the body tends to right itself in the body's general direction. Its wisdom is towards health. So figuring out what fundamentally threw it off, fixing it, typically it maintains a good direction. So when a woman who had PCOS becomes pregnant, typically the PCOS is not a challenge during the pregnancy. You wanna keep an eye on blood glucose levels, of course, that's really important. You don't want gestational diabetes. You don't want the growing infant to have spikes in, in insulin or too little insulin. You know, and both, sometimes those are both, those both can be features of a, of, of a problem you know but you, typically once it's addressed it's kind of addressed <laughs> does that make sense yeah it does but i mean like, what i was trying to move towards is when you get these products or vitamins and you read and it says some say take during pregnancy or up till pregnancy and then stop then yeah. like you know don't take during pregnancy i think Ch chasteberry um vitex yeah chasteberry um, you wouldn't want to use yeah you stop, you cut that out. Now, what's the reason behind some of these vitamins being cut out once you're pregnant? And what other vitamins need to be cut out once you've reached this pregnancy stage? I think, I, I think I'd be careful with hormonal regulatory herbs. So think of Dongkwai, Chase Tree Berry, Shatawari, Motherwort to a lesser extent. You'd probably want to back off of some of those cyclical regulatory herbs, herbs that are affecting estrogen, progesterone, prolactin is another one you want to be careful with. So herbs that have strong effects there. As far as other herbs that you'd want to be careful with, things that increase risk of bleeding or have a big effect on the heart. So any kind of stimulant herbs or cold remedies, those could be problematic. High doses of plants like ginger, and I know this is like a little counterintuitive for some folks, but big doses of ginger, um, while commonly used for morning sickness, you want to be a little careful with that, not too much. Cayenne, anything really spicy and pungent, you want to you know, take a gentle hand. Ginger can be used safely first trimester for morning sickness, but not too much. Um, be Have a light hand there. I work at a place that serves a buffet. So all my meals are, are free. 
And uh, on the end of the buffet, there's these garlic cloves. And I just seem to pour lots and lots on my meat. And to, yeah. the, po to the point that um, it's been brought up at work that I'm starting to smell like garlic through my pores. <laughs> is there, you know, is it too much of a good thing that you can have? Like, is too much garlic, in my case, is it bad for me? Well, it, 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 it might be difficult getting a date. <laughs> but, um, you know, is gar garlic's um, different people respond to it different ways. For some people, it has a pretty strong blood thinning effect, <clears throat> especially in the raw form. There's fermented black garlic, which is completely different, and pickled garlic, which is also different. But I, I, you know, typically, if you start smelling like the plants that you're eating, that's typically an indicator that you may be going a little bit too far with any one of them. Now, some plants are very strong, volatile, you know, have a lot of strong volatile compounds. Garlic is one of them. Um, black seed or black cumin, which has become quite popular, is another. And I always recommend, you know, kind of a lighter hand, especially for the ladies on that. For the guys, probably beneficial. Um, but for the women, probably not so beneficial. Balance is really important. I've seen some people tactically taking aspirin because it thins the blood. You know, is thinning is the theory behind thinning blood? Is it because it allows the nutrients to carry through your body more quickly and get to these key key areas, maybe like your testicles or your ovaries, or you know, is it, is it to allow these nutrients to, to more free flow and and start getting into spots where they need to, to do this, um, you know, passing on these nutrients to areas that need to produce these quality, you know, eggs or sperm production. Sure. You know, there, there's cell acetic acid aspirin um, is, it, it has a minor blood thinning effect. A baby aspirin is not going to hurt you. It may help with diffusion of nutrients a little bit. It's not a terrible idea. I have some concerns about inhibition of COX-2 enzymes, um, cyclooxygenase enzymes, which is part of the body's natural response to um, certain insults. You may actually limit some immune function and potentially cause some GI damage using them regularly. There's other things that I really like there's long pepper extract. It's sold under the brand name Bioperin, and you'll usually find this at the bottom of a supplement facts panel, and that stimulates the stomach to absorb and the intestines to absorb nutrients and also has a minor um, diffusive effect, um, aiding nutrient absorption. Cayenne, spicy foods, peppers can be good. Um, ginger is an amazing synergist of nutrient absorption and blood flow. So, you know, pre-pregnancy, any of those can be helpful for nutrient delivery. I've done a number of nutritional formula um, hacks, if you will, throughout my career to drive up bioavailability and bioactivity of nutrients in a product and bioperin and ginger and enzymes and sometimes probiotics or a little bit of fermentation are all well within my bag of tricks for making nutrient systems work better. And part of that is that whole blood flow question. So yeah, it works. It's safe. Um, but be careful with the drug form ones because single molecules, single effect. Plants, very complex, lots and lots of different molecules, balancing and synergistic effects, mostly. You know, again, check with your healthcare practitioner. <laughs>
there, you know, there seems to be at this day and age, there seems to be so many companies coming up now and creating prenatals and uh, often um, vegan alternatives or their own little niche on like clientele that they're trying to bring in, like marketing, trying to bring into the door. Now, in Australia, we have a, a, a prenatal called Alivert and they got a men's version called Menavert. And I looked at the Menavert one as well, which only has like four or five ingredients that you look at. And for the price that they sell these in one little pill, you can buy it all individual and, and end up with months more worth as opposed to, you know, this little pill that they've got. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, in Australia, they're everywhere. You walk into a chemist and there's posters and, you know, they come in and their clients, their, their salesmen or the business development managers that come in and they give all the merch and all that sort of stuff. So when you're a woman looking at becoming pregnant in Australia, you just walk into the door, you've got this alivet just in your face, automatically leads you to buying that because you go, oh, wow, this looks impressive because, you know, they've got all, all that out there and, and then we got normal regular GPs, and in my um, case, I had a, a GP join my community years ago looking for a sperm donor, and um, I was having a little uh, off the cusp uh, conversation. I was like, okay, what um, prenatal do you recommend? You know, the women that come and see you. And she goes, oh, just um, Elevate. And okay, and I was like, okay, well, why do you do you recommend Elevate? And she didn't really have a good answer. It's just that you know, it's it's got gets into their ears and heads as well you know uh so anyway i sold showed her a few uh studies about folic acid and the mthfr gene and possible uh, miscarriage rates uh associated with with that and she's just went wow you've taught me something that uh uh, I never knew and I've been just telling you know my patients for years to just take all of it so it, you know in saying that so this company called Alivert, they use um, the basic form of folic acid. And folic acid is a really cheap ingredient, I guess, compared to alter alternative forms. People ask me, oh, what prenatal to take? And I basically don't really give them an answer. But what I do say to them is, as a guideline, and correct me if I'm wrong, that if a, if a uh, a company is using the basic form of folic acid, then does that really mean, well, obviously they're cheaping out in, in that main ingredient. So what, you know, how pure are the other forms of all the other ingredients listed in their, you know, in their prenatal? Would that be a fair guideline, I guess, to start off with? You know, I mean, how does a new person looking to start taking prenatals identify which one to take because, you know, to them it looks all foreign. You know, you see, see this massive list of ingredients, but we don't know the purity of them all. Well, I, great question um, and absolutely bang on as far as, you know, looking at folate versus folic acid. And folate, if you want to kind of read past the initial words, you're going to look for 5-HTMF which is 5-hydroxy-tetramethylfolate for those science wonks out there like me. Folic acid is synthesized, most of it in China, and it was sub it's been supplemented. It, well, it was, let, let's take one step back. Folic acid is essential in prenatals because it can help prevent neural tube defects, which is the spinal cord kind of sealing up um, and containing the spine. Um, and the brain early on. So the, one of the er, one of the most awful and preventable nutrient driven um, birth defects is 
spinal malformation. And when you increase folic acid, specifically folate, you um, don't have problems there. About 30% of the population has a genetic polymorphism, which prevents them from converting folic into folate. So there's a, G's, a gene called 5MTHFR. It has a funny nickname. I won't repeat it on air. <laughs> uh, the um, I think I called it the motherfucker gene. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, the um, a lot of people lack that. I will go a step further. Unconverted folic acid can cause problems in the GI tract. It can actually stimulate cancer cells. So taking non-pre-converted folic acid is probably a terrible idea. It was an idea of economics. For the U.S., they started supplementing all flour and baked goods with it. They started doing that um, in many other countries in the world. And I think it was a well-intentioned move 50, 60 years ago. But we know better now. Folate 5-HTMF is much more expensive. It's not as stable. It's a little more difficult to manage, but it's safer and far more effective. And frankly, that's my first you know, hurdle in the get to a good multivitamin or get to a good prenatal. And if they fail on that, run away. Do not even consider the product. The next hurdle is, is it one pill or multiple pills? Um, the concept of trying to fit everything you need in a prenatal into one tablet or capsule or soft gel that you can swallow, you're not going to get there from here. Um, it's impossible. So making sure that you're using a multi-dose product, because that will give the formulator and the product room to include everything that you need. And even, unfortunately, at five or six tablets or, or, you know, or, or capsules, it's difficult to fit everything you need um, supplementally. And I'm, not, and, you know, and I'm assuming a good diet. I'm assuming you're making good diet choices. But the requirements of a prenatal are big. You're, you're going to be nourishing a new life. You can't do that in one tiny little soft gel tablet or capsule. So that would be hurdle number two. There's a lot of other nutrients that I look for that are sadly not present in most prenatals. I totally 100% agree with that. That's that's the advice that I say is if it doesn't have, I say I just say basically in the tetra form because um my yeah. rolling it off the my tongue. Or, I think. or me methylated is I think yeah, the, 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 the right form. You you look for methylated um or phosphorized B vitamins, and I don't stop. By the way, when I formulate, I don't stop at folic acid, making sure that the folic is actually folate. I look at the B6 rather than regular pridoxine hydrochloride. We're looking at pridoxal 5-phosphate in the pre-converted form. My job as a formulator is to make your biochemistry easier. We're taking a supplement to get benefits. It only makes basic sense to give the person the best forms of the nutrients, those that are pre-converted to their active format. So B vitamins, always coenzymes, riboflavin 5-phosphate, P5P, proper folate, methyl B12, the methylcobalamin versus cyanocobalamin, um, 
when we start looking at minerals, making sure that the minerals that you're providing are in their chelated form. Chelates are basically carrier molecules, amino acids that help carry the amino acid, or, or sorry, the, the mineral into the body. Um, making And you also want, want more soluble forms of minerals that, that way they can cross into the body more effectively. So I take my job as a formulator very, very seriously of providing service. You know, I, I don't go, I don't eat at fast food restaurants. I like nice service in the restaurant. I don't want to have to go get my own meal, right? With supplements, I would say the same thing. You know, serve yourself in a nice white, you know, white tablecloth, you know, especially when you know, restaurant when you're when you're pregnant. Take good care of yourself. Pamper yourself a little bit. Take the good stuff. <laughs> I guess when I grew up as a child and I was trying to give medication or, you know, it's it's a natural thing to refuse. You know, everyone doesn't like the idea of taking tablets. It's one of those things that you really yeah. need to get your head around. I don't know why that's instinctively in a lot of human nature that we are resentful of it. You know, like I know as a kid, when I was offered all these tablets and I still try and avoid taking Panadol or, you know, all that sort of stuff today, I'd rather put up with the headache than, than take those sort of tablets. But with my, with vitamins and that, you know, I, you know, I can't get enough of them. I'm smashing like 20 a day at various stages. Is there too many vitamins that you can take? You know, um, obviously if they're all different types, like lycopene, um, zinc, uh, maca, royal jelly, put your 10 and all that sort of stuff. Is there too much you can take, uh, you know, or do you need to space them out in parts of the day? I know a lot of them say you need to take with food. Why can't you take them on an empty stomach? Yeah, let's, I think there's a few questions. Well, that's a lot of yeah. Great, great question. Um, I'll start the answer by saying there are physiologic and pharmacologic doses of almost all nutrients and nutrients being B vitamins, minerals, amino acids, et cetera. So looking at them specifically, and then, and then you also have fat solubles and water solubles. Water solubles, it's harder to do damage to the body in that the body's getting rid of them pretty quickly. Most of, you know, if you have excessive amounts, they're processed and eliminated via the urine. That said, there are organs and tissues processing those nutrients. So you want to stay in the physiologic dose range not many multiples of the DV or RDA, the daily value or RDA. I don't like mega dosing most nutrients. If, you know, there's a healthy range for most nutrients and going super, super high, unless you have a real specific issue you're trying to address and you're using sound advice to, you know, for your reason to take really high doses. I'm not crazy about taking super high dose. Timing. Um, the body evolved, is adapted to, and is best served by taking small amounts of food throughout the day. Um, intermittent fasting is a great idea for some people, especially when we get a little too big around the middle, like me right now. The food here in Uzbekistan <laughs> is just a little too tasty. <laughs> um, that said, um, Smaller doses spread out is better than giant boluses of nutrients all at once. So, you know, for instance, if you have a multivitamin, that's a two capsule formula, take one with breakfast and one with dinner. You'll probably absorb and utilize it much, much better if you're spreading it out. The body has a limited capacity 
to digest, absorb, transport, and utilize high doses of these nutrients that are typically only found in small amounts of food. So kind of working with the body's cycle and rhythms. When we start getting into you know, non-nutrient supplements, nutraceuticals are what I like to call them, and then botanicals and herbs. Um, again, there are safe doses and there are excessive doses. I was reading a story uh, recently about a guy who was taking four grams a day of N-acetylcysteine. And it's like, yeah, that's probably way too much. Most of the data is around 600 to 1,000, maybe 1,200 milligrams, and you're at 3x that. It's not a surprise that your liver's kind of getting inflamed as a result of it. Um, and what's normally really healthy becomes problematic. Um, so I would say look at peer-reviewed data. By the way, peer-reviewed data does not include TikTok, Facebook, Insta, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I don't check my social media. My one-year delay in getting into interview <laughs> is evidence of that. I I'll vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. You, you know, look, for, I mean, I, and I know it's a pain in the ass, but look, spend some time and go to PubMed and index something there, or just type in the words peer reviewed after your Google search. And you're going to get actual published papers that were reviewed by a team of qualified scientists, experts in their field that look at the data and compare the dose that's used in the peer-reviewed research with what you're thinking about taking, if you're thinking about taking high dose. Um, or talk to an herbalist or nutritionist, somebody that's trained, credentialed, not somebody who's a self-styled nutritionist. I've run into a lot of those and not all of them are well-trained and wise. Not all high doses are well-grounded. So gentle hand, be kind. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I come across people that are using nutritionists and uh, naturopaths and all that, and some of them are good, and I can I go, oh, that sounds yeah. like a good one. But then some people, I just go, wow, like, no, don't listen to them. Like, yeah, get goofy, me. man. Um, <laughs> <We're> dangerous. <laughs> but, but I mean... In, in answer, just to jump back to your question, I probably take on a daily basis 25, 30 pills, various powders and liquids. You sound um, like me. You sound like... <laughs> Is that my like yeah, my no, identical no, twin? From the same <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, but, so, um, so that's what people say to me. They say to me, they say, "Look, Adam, you got these uh, list of ingredients that you know, not necessarily in a prenatal, but taking them in singular forms, and they're worried about you know taking each one as is as, as accumulative." as uh, um, being too much, you know, on the liver or the kidneys, um, even though it's only, you know, the recommended daily dosage or a, a, a fraction of of, of what the, the RDI yeah. is, um, are they allowed to take seven tablets or 10 tablets at a time and, or, and 10 at um, lunch or, you know? It, yeah, they... yeah absolutely, absolutely yes, by all means, yes. You can take a lot of pills all at once, but read the labels of everything, get a pad of paper or a spreadsheet up and make sure you're not overdoing it on any nutrients. I'm a huge fan of multivitamins and condition-specific formulas. I There are a lot of single nutrients that I spike things up with, like for instance, omega-3. I take extra omega-3 every day and I actually take three different forms of it. So I'm taking a phospholipid form, I'm taking regular... EPA and DHA, and then I'm also taking an omega-7 
supplement. I, you know, I kind of lumped that into omega-3. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of omegas, but you know, you, you eat a piece of fish, you're getting the equivalent of three, four, five soft gels. So yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. Coenzyme Q10, another one that I take every day. I've been taking it for years and years. Um, and there's lots of other nutrients that I use on a daily basis. In addition to my multivitamin, a multimineral, um, and then there's some kind of uh, focus and attention stuff because I, as you might have noticed already, I'm all over the place all the time. <laughs> Tough for me to <laughs> stay in a straight line. Um, so I take some things to help moderate my brain and kind of keep that working. And then at night, I need a big dose of stuff to kind of help me find my off switch and take a deep breath and go to sleep. Otherwise, I'll end up working till 4 a.m., which is not healthy. With the folic acid and the, the methyl, Tetra folate um, yes. version. The price tag difference. You know, are you expecting to pay oh, yeah. extra ten to twenty dollars per? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because what we're seeing with the the elevators is that you know they are they charge a um, a shitload of money, but obviously their marketing makes them sound like they're really good. So you you know you would rather buy the one that's equivalent to that or one that's a little bit more than that for the. Um, the folate. One good thing about them, though, is they they mention the they use iodine in in it, and yes. that's a, that's an important ingredient. But I'm um, I'm guessing that's one of the more cheaper ones to produce. It's not really relatively expensive. Oh, iodine's dirty cheap. It's super super inexpensive. Um, I mean, fractions of a penny per daily dose, and you know the dose of this, a high dose of iodine is two hundred and twenty five micrograms. Um, to put that in perspective, a paperclip weighs about a gram. Yeah. And you have a thousand milligrams in a gram and then a thousand micrograms there. So you're talking about a quarter of one one thousandth of a paperclip weight of something that's about six, eight bucks a kilogram, which that's is a thousand. <laughs> so really too cheap to measure, you know, but yeah, yeah. there are some really good natural iodine sources that I like to use. There's some sea vegetable derived iodines that are really gentle on the body and they have these cofactors that make your thyroid work a little bit better. Um, and if you're going to use iodine, you need, 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 I said it three times for a reason, yeast derived selenium with it. You need selenium. And by the way, yeast derived selenium is not selenite or selenate or sodium selenite. It is yeast bound selenium it's much more bioactive bioavailable and it's the counterbalance and aid to iodine in managing metabolism one of the big challenges that a lot of moms have is their thyroid goes to goes to hell during pregnancy and after pregnancy and you'll end up with all sorts of weight gain and irritability and bad mood and your cycle doesn't start up because your thyroid's been through a lot you got to nourish it and take care of it during pregnancy and selenium and iodine are beautiful for this. They work really, really well and they're incredibly safe at the right dose. About 200 micrograms of selenium, 225 micrograms of iodine on the high end. Frankly, most women only need hundred mics of iodine because they're getting plenty of iodine from the iodized salt that they consume. Yeah, I, I found it quite ironic, this uh, the marketing of this uh, this brand uh, saying, you know, 
uh, we we have iodine, which is great, but then they don't mention they just use basic folic acid, and so it's sort yeah. of it's sort of like the the, the double edged sword, you know, like the the trickery totally. that goes into it. So, um, and, and I, bet, I bet they're not even touching choline or DHA, which are both incredibly important for mommy to be. Yeah, we're about to go into DHA, uh, but the you know with the selenium levels, like I know a lot of things that I've read, it's important to have and include, but it seems to be one of those ones that if you have too much, it's more detrimental than say having too much of a, a an, an alternative um, vitamin out there on the market. You know, what's the sure. impact of um, having too much selenium? Um, too much selenium can cause some challenges as basic as, you know, and non-threatening as messing with your hair for guys to some serious liver challenges. I, I've rarely seen people cause themselves grief with selenium supplements. It's very unusual for that to happen. There's a number of reasons for that. First of all, most formulators don't use good quality selenium. They use the sodium selenite or selenate forms which are poorly bioactive, poorly bioavailable. They don't get absorbed. They land up in your stool in the toilet, which is not where vitamins belong. Um, so you need to use forms of nutrients that are in their active, easy to assimilate form. So that's A. And then B, most products don't put an awful lot of selenium in there. I see products at 55 micrograms uh, on the high end or some fraction thereof. That's the DV for selenium. There's a whole wealth of studies that were published at 200 micrograms. There's some really great peer-reviewed data that shows that that's probably the correct dose for most people. And there's whole swaths of the world that don't have selenium in the soil, so it doesn't get into the fruit and the veg or the meats that are fed the grains from the ground. So there's a lot of selenium deficient places and diets. I didn't read up on Australia before and, and New Zealand before this conversation. But for instance, I have a client in Eastern Europe, in Poland, and they have like no selenium in their soil at all. So everybody there needs to be supplementing with selenium. Parts of the US, no selenium. Parts of China, no selenium. However, you go into some areas like in um, Central Africa, a lot of selenium in the soil. They don't wow. need to supplement selenium, but we're not in Central Africa. Check on Australia what the selenium content in the soil is. It will come up as like either replete or deficient, and then you make a decision. That's good to know. I mean, I'll have to check that up now. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, some vitamins only kick in with other vitamins hand in hand, you know, in terms of... Oh, yeah. um, I would say most of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's my theory. I mean, like, you know, there's some, I think, that work well with vitamin A um, or like the zinc um, yeah. to get the, to get that extra kick. Otherwise, they're not getting that ideal be benefits. Like, I guess, like the Power Rangers and they morph into one, you know, when they're well, my, 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 One of my mentors and best friends, the guy who I look up to, um, a gentleman by the name of Tim Avia, he has a company called Systems Biosciences, and he's been in the nutrition game a little longer than me. I think about 35, maybe yeah, more, more than 35 years. Um, Tim looks at everything as this interlocked matrix of enzyme systems and biochemical pathways. I mean, the guy can hold a mandala in his brain. It's unbelievable how brilliant he is. And 
part of his brilliance and formulation is he understands, okay, if I'm going to take vitamin A, I need zinc and I need selenium. And I probably also need some CoQ10 and a little bit of riboflavin and niacin all to activate that vitamin A and let it do, let it, do its job. Almost all of the basic nutrients, they're not drugs that exit that exert a single mechanistic effect on the body. They're basic building blocks of systems. And unless everything is working together, nothing works at all. It's kind of like taking protein for building strong muscles. If you're missing one amino acid, the whole structure stops and says, oh, yep, we're out of supplies. I would compare it to a construction site. You're trying to build a building. You have all the bricks. You have all the steel. You have all the cement and everything. But if you don't have the wires that go in the walls, no bueno, man. Construction shuts down. So, yeah, you need to make sure you have everything. That's why a multivitamin is extremely important. That's why a balanced diet, you know, you can't get health from a bottle of pills. You need the, the good food to back it up. They're supplements. So they work together, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, you obviously taking the same amount of pills that I am consuming each day, and a lot of them seem to be many of them the same uh you obviously don't do it for sperm purposes uh so uh what you know how do how do you feel health-wise when you're when you're taking this uh you know does it keep you youthful does it keep you uh energetic does it you know do you, does it stop aging as well do, you know just not only for fertility purposes but uh you know what what else does yeah what does What's it feel motivation? like for, yeah <laughs> Great question. Um, I was blessed well into my 40s with a beautiful boy, um, Henrik. He's my son, 11 years old, and I'm going to be 57. So I take supplements so I can keep up with him and be a great dad to him. Um, a lot of his buddies' dads are 10, 15 years my junior. So, you know, I kind of figure I got to, I, I, I got to, keep up. I also, you know, I want to be healthy. I don't want to follow the path of some of my progenitors um, and die of a heart attack or um, other other types of disease. Um, there's, you know, colon cancers in my family, depression and anxiety are in my family, um, heart diseases in my family. So I want to reduce the odds of those happening. So getting a good night's rest having connection and faith and, you know, personal contact in life, incredibly important. Moving, staying active, not being a couch potato, incredibly important. Balanced diet and, yeah, supplements. That's part of the five things that I think, you know, you need to be engaging on if you want to be healthy. I've had periods of my life where I've kind of let work take over, put the exercise aside, and all of a sudden, everything kind of hurts and your energy is not there and the mental focus goes away. So for me, it's about being the best version of myself. I'm not looking to live super long. I, I've had an amazing life. I've been able to travel all over the planet. I've been able to do some really meaningful work that empowered me to have a real positive health impact on people. So I've kind of I've had a son and I, I helped raise my wife's first son. You know, he's off to the races. He'll be married in a couple of days. So oh, you know, wow. yeah, you know, some, some cool things happening there. 
I don't feel like, oh God, I got to live another 40, 50 years to keep things going. But the years that I have, I don't want to be burdened with disease. I don't want to lose my mind when I get older. I, I'm terrified of Alzheimer's disease. That to me is a, a plague lurking on the back end for a lot of us. Um, my wife's mom lives with us. I see what age does to the body, what frailty looks like. And that's not fun. That's not cool. You know, being old where everything hurts and you're on all sorts of medications, which have side effects. I don't want to, I, I don't want to live that way. So I'm looking to expand my health span as long as possible. Stay vibrant and focused. Do you think you will get a few extra years out of this though? Um, I, I know this is a flip answer. I don't care, but yeah, probably I will. I mean, you know, I look, I, I'm into a lot of um, biomeasurement and biohacking type stuff and getting more and more committed to it over time. It's been part of my health journey and I'm trying to do things to reduce my metabolic age. You know, the big topics that I'm looking at with interest now are things like autophagy and getting rid of zombie cells, cellular senescence. So basically trying to get rid of this, the, the slow or inefficient cells, the dead cells, or, or, shouldn't say dead, but cells that aren't operating properly and clean them up, get rid of them. And at the same time, stimulating the good, healthy, vibrant cells to do their job effectively. So really, Pregnancy and healthy sperm, those are the healthiest, most vibrant cells in the body. They carry the seeds of life. Mm. Very similar stuff as, you know, I'm, I'm probably a few years your senior. Um, I'm not going to be having any more children at my age, but trying to maintain the best version of me going forward so that I can maintain productivity and joy in my life. That's th Those are my health goals. And yeah, it probably will add some years, but that's not the goal. For me, it's health span, not lifespan. No, fair call. Uh, so for me, looking at, obviously, every time I go to a doctor, I'll just get a script for a sperm analysis. I'll just do them for fun, you know, providing yeah. I'm, I'm not donating, I'll get, I'll go in and I'll do one. Because for me, I see it as a measure of your health. Like, you know, it seems to me that your body has all these priorities that it puts towards, whether it's muscle rebuilding or fighting off, uh, you know, a virus or, you know, um ways of uh you know distribution of all your nutrients that it has and yeah, yeah. the the leftover ones seem to go into sperm production you know so once you got everything else in your body taken care of and um in sync and healthy so you're exercising and and all that sort of stuff then your body's like all right well i've got all this leftover stuff now i can create sperm you know so it seems to be if my sperm count is really high, it's, it's because I'm taking um, good measures of the rest of all that. And uh, obviously it's harder for females to, uh, you know, get those tests because, you know, they, they don't have it in sperm production, you know, you can, and seeing eggs is a bit more harder and, and then all that sort of stuff. But um, I, uh, you know, get, get a sperm test and then I know when I'm feeling really healthy, I just know it's going to be super high or, uh, compared to that i mean have you obviously you don't have children you're not in the sperm field but um is that something that you've ever done just to get an analysis to see you know how your body's you know functioning and and, and using it with all that sort I, of stuff? I, I i haven't and what you're saying is interesting but i, I i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna throw some questions out there if i may um the role of any species 
at core is to propagate the species. So I think there are probably, a, a, I, I don't look at reproduction and healthy sperm as a kind of extra tier. I almost look at it as a primary tier priority for the body. That said, if we look at sperm counts among men generationally, they've been plummeting for the last five or six generations. We really don't have any data going back before then. We have really robust data for about four or five generations of men. And clearly, as you look down the generations closer to our children's age, sperm counts are dropping precipitously and it's absolutely correlated with industrialized life. You know, if you live in the modern world, chances are if you're a dude, your sperm count is not happy living there. So you're definitely doing something right. I agree with you that it is absolutely a marker for vibrancy and health. There are other markers I like to look at. Uh, markers for DNA methylation is a real big one oxidative status. Um, you can start looking at individual um, systems in the body. You know, what do blood lipids look like? What is the blood's ORAC level or oxygen radical absorptive capacity? You know, how is it handling insults and, and stress? Um, looking at endocrine function, different, gl different glandular systems, you know, thyroid, insulin, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there's other external markers of health. You know, for women, you know, how does their skin and their hair look? Are they, you know, is their skin clear or is it, you know, is there a lot of acne? Going back to the beginning of the conversation, PCOS, almost always adult acne with PCOS. If there's adult acne, that's a red flag. You need to address that. Um, is there hair issues? If the thyroid's not working well, which is, you know, master metabolism gland and the hair's falling out because it's low or the eyes are bulging because it's running too high, you know, okay, we, we have indicators of, of problems there. So a lot of external markers. Um, and then level of fitness, you know, are you able to get up off the floor without using your hands? That's a really great marker for vitality of a person. <laughs> a person can't get up off the floor without using their hands. They need to start working on things. That's a, that's a big, big problem. Um, you know, how, you know, can you run? Can you walk? Can you jump? Can you, you know, basic things like that. Um, so there's there's lots of good markers for well-being. I think sperm is probably overlooked in men. Unfortunately, there's not really an equivalence for women. I agree with you there. But menstrual health, you know, is she ovulating and having an easy period or a tough period? That tells me a lot about what's going on in the body. It'd be interesting to know if there is a study of lifespans of women who are more regular compared to women who are more, uh, you know, irregular. You know, there's all these little things that can be key mark indicators that we haven't really explored, I guess. And I think in saying that, there's a, I think a study came out the other day about sperm dropping and it was, uh, they've noticed uh, Teflon now being uh, something that's decreasing it as well. Yes. Yeah. PFAS, the, some of these forever chemicals, um, they, they're, they're awful. They're endocrine system disruptors. They kind of act as, supercharged, super sticky hormones in the body, and they cause real grievous problems in humans. So yeah, those Teflon coatings in the pots and pans, stay away, man. Cook with cast iron and stainless. 
Um, <laughs> it's what I do. Um, and, um, you know, avoid some of these complex, the complex chemicals in your body care items. You'll find forever chemicals there. You'll find them in a lot of clothing. You'll find them in water bottles. I have a, uh, you know, metal bottle <laughs> that I drink from. I don't use the plastics. So yeah, bravo. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, they, you know, all these things are important, um, in, you know, how we, uh, maintain our wellness. I think we're very on the level same playing field here in that idea ideology. So you got these products coming mm-hmm. out and they you know these people that produce these prenatals and and all that. Like I mean how often are these companies or in particular what you're noticing as a you know just as a whole like the not uh, individual companies are they tweaking their products over the years or do they roughly say the same like are they is are they looking at ways to chuck in extra like say ashwan ganwa into their you know multivitamin do they play it safe basically i mean because as we're going to touch on dhea and some of them don't even bother going there or adding that into the multivitamin what are these yeah what what's your what are, what are these companies doing with these things yeah are they iterating um, it depends on the company. Um, I can speak to about half a dozen prenatals that I've formulated and maintained relationships with the companies over the years. One company that I've had the privilege of working with in the U.S. is called Advanced Nutrition by Zoller. And Advanced Nutrition by Zoller has a prenatal that I originally formulated over 15 years ago. And we've been through about nine versions since then, subsequent upgrades and tweaks and modifications, changing sources of ingredients, um, changing manufacturers on occasion, um, you know, to better technologies, cleaner label, more bioactive, bioavailable forms of nutrients, where we have some cool changes in process now. So we're always looking at the data upgrading. There's another um, prenatal I had a hand in um, called Full Circle Prenatal by Dr. Ayla Balmer, amazing woman. Um, She's um, practicing medicine um, associated with a bunch of physicians out of Harvard, and she's a nutritionist that focuses on women's health care. And she's only been out for two years, and she's in her second version of her prenatal, three years now, in second version. So yeah, they, they, there's a kind of a drumbeat of upgrade so, and do and yeah, you know, innovate and 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 make it cleaner and better and safer. See, so for me, if I'm looking for a prenatal and and I'm one of these women, you're saying that she's into a second version already and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I think it's quite important to have that labeled like second reiteration because it's showing that they're constantly going back to the drawing board or constantly tweaking it and modifying it to me that's showing like this company's in- innovative you know like they're yeah. always looking to change rather that's a great than- marketing strategy no, nobody's done that I, I i almost wish that we could there was one brand gosh back in the um back in the 90s that had like kind of a superfood mix like kind of a meal replacement thing and they actually had the addition number on the label. And I think when I stopped tracking them, they were like 17 or 18. These guys were constantly up in their ante and, and disrupting themselves. 
I don't know anybody in the prenatal game that's doing that. It's a great marketing idea. I may share that with some of my partners. <laughs> well, I think it makes sense. I mean, look, I was looking at, I was listening to Joe Rogan the other day, the podcast, and yeah. and uh, I think uh, they they do the bloody ball trimmer, you know, <laughs> where they groom your, your private parts and they call it the lawnmower 4.0, you know? And, and I was like, oh, okay, last year when I was listening to the podcast, it was called the 3.0. And then I... I know I've what's, never, what's better what's different <laughs> well yeah yeah i've never bought any of the products to trim my balls to do it with but like i thought i thought i wonder what's new and improved on the 4.0 over the 3.0 you know? sure, <laughs> sure. yeah so i mean but like it's, it's, it's intriguing because it's showing that they're you know constantly looking at ways to improve it or you know it's like an iphone now or a samsung you know you know samsung 23 and then you know, you get the Samsung 24 that comes out next year. You go, okay, well, that's better, obviously better than the previous models. And so, yeah. yeah, I don't know. For me, it's I think that's the way the world's going now. And in terms of a prenatal, it's just like, okay, well, you know, the theories and the learnings and the understandings of recommended daily intakes or what, you know, what pure forms are green, alternative forms, whether or not we're starting to do it from synthetic versions, from animal versions to even plant, you know, um, yeah, like DHA, the big movement there is going from fish derived to algae derived. You know, why eat the fish when you can eat what the fish ate? Um, and the algal DHA is getting better and better and better. It's actually now better than the fish derived, which is what we started with. So we've moved on to that. So one thing we'll talk about DHA now, we finally got into it. It's been, it's been on the tip of the tongue the whole time. Uh you know, one thing that I noticed was, was there's all these, you know, products out in the market. And then I saw, and I've done a lot of studies that a lot of them um, can be gone off, you know, not, um, you know, so you, the, you, you're taking it and it can actually be more worse off than taking it because it's been produced or not kept or maintained in a, in a way like, um, can you touch on that and sort of. Absolutely. Yes. Well, let's. First, talk DHA or docohexanoic acid is an it's an omega three fat and it's critical for brain and eye formation and it's actually incorporated in almost every healthy cell membrane in the body. So if you're growing lots of new cells, like oh I don't know a baby, you definitely want lots of DHA available. DHA is a fatty acid. And fats, as we know, can go rancid. They can oxidize. And the measurement of oxidation is called the TOTOX, or total oxidative status of an oil. And that, that goes to a couple different sub-markers. There's anisidine and peroxides and a lot of complex chemistry there. The good news on the fish and omega-3 and algal oil business is it's brutally competitive. It's like the most competitive part of the nutraceutical space. And the companies in there love to slam each other and embarrass each other and test each other's products and publish results. And the result of that fierce competition is the quality of the products in the marketplace has actually become magnificent. The levels of impurities have dropped quite a bit from where they were 20 years ago when I started really playing aggressively in the omega-3 space. The, um, the level of oxidation has dropped off. I think you'd probably be hard pressed to find 
spoiled off oxidized oil in the market. It's fresher than most of the fish that, mo that most people eat. Um, it's been purified, you know, I, I have preferences and personal predilections around this. I prefer algal derived omega-3. It completely rules out the pesticides and heavy metals, which are two contaminant classes of concern in, in oils. Whenever you have an animal eating lots of stuff or eating other animals, they can bioaccumulate toxins in the environment, heavy metals, is a really good example. If you have a bottom dwelling old fish, like um, you know, Patagonian toothfish, also called- um, uh, They're ugly fish, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, there's, you know, there's some types of fish um, that live for a hundred years and they're eating for a hundred years and they bioaccumulate all the toxins wow. of a hundred years. Like for instance, if you're eating shark or swordfish, or bluefin tuna, these are big, carnivorous, long-lived creatures that can bioaccumulate a lot of toxins. We look at that tuna, tuna oil is the primary, was the primary source of DHA. I use algal DHA. You grow algae and you extract the DHA from it. There's no chance of there being pesticides or heavy metals in it. So how long's algal um, alternatives been on the market for now? And I don't know if they're really available in Australia. How are they marketed? Uh, you know, this is the real first time I've even come across um, the algal because, like, people who are vegan, uh, they they say, "Oh, well, you know, how am I going to get my omega freeze?" Uh, yeah. You know, and this seems like a, a a good alternative, if not what you're saying, better. Yeah, well, it is better. I mean, it's just, it's clearly better. It's been around, it started about who, 20 years ago with MarTech as a company, which is now part of DSM. These are big global suppliers of ingredients. But now there's dozens of suppliers of algal omega-3. Um, I'm pretty, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain they are available in Australia. The challenge for a long time was price. It was more expensive than the fish-derived DHA, but the omega-3 market is having some really big problems right now. Um, the quality of the harvest, the harvest, they're killing fish, they're kind of catching fish, but wild fish. So the quality of the fish they're catching is really poor. Um, they're not producing high levels of omega-3, so you need to concentrate much greater quantities of fish oil to get to good quantities of DHA. And its partner, by the way, is EPA. Um, those are the two major omega-3 molecules. Um, so, you know, yeah, fish is having a problem. There's less, the, the harvests are low, quant, low, qual, low quantity and low quality, which means the prices are going up. And this is simultaneous to greater efficiencies in producing the omega-3 from algae and more players in the algae space. So competition's driving down those prices. And you're actually kind of seeing them um, change hands as far as who's the most efficient way of getting to high quality DHA for supplements. So you'll probably be seeing a lot more of it in the market. Do you think in the next 20 years, the algae... Well, Algae way will be the you know more I guess 
easy way to produce or more sustainable? No, it's going to be within like the next three to five years. Wow. Um, it's not going to be 20 years. I mean, this has been going for a while. And now for a long time, you couldn't economically viably produce EPA, but now we've cracked that as well. So now there's viable EPA as well. And yeah, I, I don't want to be a gloom and doomer going back to that original part of the conversation where I said there's 50 harvests left, but we've, we've really driven the oceans to collapse um, and the ocean food chain is collapsing as we speak. And the pelagic fish that we rely upon, those fisheries, while they say they're managed, the underlying dynamics of the ocean, how the ocean um, balances its pH, what's happening with the major currents and temperature in the ocean, it's crashing. We're at a time of grave crisis there. And I think the amount of fish that the ocean gives up to us is going to crash in the near term as well. Hate being pessimistic, but that's really what we're looking at. That's what the data indicates. Wow. Um, okay. So another big one is CoQ10. Um, yeah. Also, there's for older people, it's recommended in the ubiquinol phase. Yeah, ubiquinol uh, form, the reduced yeah. form, yes. So run through that. And what's the benefits of, of that? CoQ10 is a really cool ingredient, um, more active. It's found in every healthy cell in the body. CoQ10 um, works in the mitochondria, the energy furnace inside the cell. And it's essential in the electron transport chain. I know I'm throwing a lot of chemistry out there, but basically it comes down to how do cells produce energy and manage energy. We, we have certain tissue in our body that's constantly energized and constantly needing energy, like the heart. The heart's a muscle that can never take a rest. From before you're born till your last dying breath, that heart is pumping and thumping. And heart cells have a huge amount of CoQ10 in them. And if you measure heart tissue, you can very quickly determine heart health by how much CoQ10 is there. That's one of the major attributes of, of heart muscle um, is how much CoQ10. And it's also in other energetic tissue, like your kidneys, your liver, your lungs, your brain. CoQ10 levels diminish as we get older. You know, in you, your body can synthesize CoQ10. It's not a vitamin. You don't need an outside source, but because most people don't produce it efficiently, and they don't recycle it efficiently, there's probably a really strong justification for supplementation with CoQ10. When you start looking at longevity and health span, one of the few nutrients that they've done studies on where you take it, and then they looked at people who were in a study 10 years ago, and the people who were in the active part of the study were healthier than the people who were on the placebo 10 years after they stopped taking it. So wow. CoQ10 is a long-term investment in your wellness. I've been taking it for 30 years um, and I take a pretty high dose. I kind of bounce back and forth between ubiquinol and ubiquinone. Um, the reduced form, the ubiquinol, is probably better for people who are getting older. The reduced form is the active form, your body, when you're younger can reduce it real easily as you get older that, you know, because of sloppy 
degradation of cells, your body becomes less efficient at that and you don't recycle it or cycle it into its active form so well. When you don't have enough CoQ10, your cells produce more free radicals. Those aren't a bunch of long haired kids screaming at the, at the politicians. They're compounds that degrade your body. Um, oxygen singlet molecules and nitrosamines and other you know, nitrogen-based compounds that cause damage to tissue. And CoQ10 helps neutralize and ma maintain normal healthy levels of those reactive compounds. So it's incredibly important. Sperm, it, when you look at it, or especially for guys that are donating or guys that want to get their girlfriend or wife pregnant, um, they need really high levels of CoQ10 to maintain motility. They're going to swim like crazy at, from a cellular perspective, ridiculous distances. When you think of the size of a cell and how far a sperm has to swim, it's kind of mind boggling that it actually happens at all. So having really good sperm motility is a CoQ10 dependent function. So if you want healthy swimmers, take CoQ10 and take a lot of it. Take wow. three, four, 500, even a thousand milligrams of CoQ10. And CoQ10 is one of those nutrients where there's absolutely no data whatsoever of toxicity. They've given other mammals like redonkulous doses, doses that would hurt your wallet before they hurt you. And there's been no damage to the tissue. So that's kind of cool. It's not cheap, but it's not as expensive as it was in the bad old days when I started playing with it. I might have an extra tablet per day now based on that advice. There you go, right? <laughs> um, another interesting one that I've seen in fertility products is Lycopen, which is like comes out of the tomato. Oh. And, uh, you know, I once read a study somewhere in a Mediterranean island where all these tomatoes grow everywhere and it's a huge place in people's diets and they have a lifespan average of older than other, you know, places around that area. Uh, there seems to be some, you know, vitality towards this um, ingredient. Uh, what, can you touch on that? I'd be delighted. And I'm going to tell you that you kind of, um, you, 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 you uh, I'm a little bit of, an, of a, uh, an ace in the hole in this. I worked for the world's largest producer of lycopene for a number of years as their business development manager. Um, the company is called Lycored. They're ingredient is called Lycomato, and they have more data published on that carotenoid than you could stack on my desk, and I have a big desk. <laughs> Lycopene is the red color in tomato. You also find it in some other fruits, um, like watermelon, for instance. Lycopene is an incredibly powerful antioxidant. It's an extremely polar molecule. It loves fats and it eats water. That's polarity. And molecules and it stabilizes cell membranes throughout the body it definitely impacts sperm health in a huge huge way the island by the way that you're referring to is sicily off the, the off the tip of italy and yeah they have some amazing tomato there or tomato depending on how you want to call it and the varieties there are uh, high lycopene varieties the minimum amount, minimum amount of lycopene I would try to consume a day is three milligrams, which is the equivalent of about a big ripe tomato. But your body really thrives for guys and women too when you have about 20 milligrams of lycopene a day. 
and it's amazing for your skin and amazing for your eyes and amazing for your heart and amazing for your endothelium, which is the lining of all the blood vessels in the body. It's actually a metabolic organ. So the endothelium really benefits from that. We were talking about like blood flow and nutrient delivery earlier. Lycopene is amazing for that. They've done studies on sports performance, eye health. It's really quite fabulous stuff. So an ingredient I was really proud to work with and an ingredient that's something that I actually take every day. So it's one of those special ones that's not necessarily in your multivitamin or your men's health product. A men's health product that I formulated for my friends at Zoller called Male Vitality has lycopene in it. And that's kind of their sperm health and reproductive support formulator for formulation, Male Vitality Plus. And that, that actually has the CoQ10 and lycopene and a bunch of other goodies in there. Another one that I'll bring up because uh, a donor that I know is, is in the exclusive billion club as well, we like to call it, where you... You reach those uh, those high numbers. Of, I gotta get um, tested. I'm interested. In <laughs> I think you might be in that club if you, you know, sort of why I was trying to ask the question. He's a, a big fan of the goji berries, and uh, you know, you can get in forms of goji berry extracts in, in yeah. tablet form and stuff like that. Um, you know, have you heard of that? Um, you know, I pick goji berries here in Uzbekistan. They're native to this area. Quite tasty, a little tart, very, very good. Um, so yeah, you can get goji or wolfberry around here. It's very rich in antioxidants. It actually has lycopene in it. It's one of the few berries that expresses lycopene. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Uh, it has lutein in it as well, which is another carotenoid. Those are those vibrant, colorful molecules in fruits and plants. So, you know, you have lycopene, lutein, um, zeaxanthin, astaxanthin, cryptoxanthin, etc. You know, all these brilliant color, beta carotene, all these colorful carotenoids. Um, and goji also has some really good fats in it, surprisingly, a berry with fats and the little seeds inside there. They're loaded with high quality fatty acids. So, yeah, goji is great. It's a nice plant. I don't know if I take it every day, but I do like to eat it once in a while. Um, There's some companies that sell goji berry oil um, and goji concentrate, and it's become quite popular. It also has a um, an adrenal supportive effect it helps keep you calm and resist and stress resilient so it's a nice fruit from that perspective as well nice uh another one that intrigues me is royal jelly um, you ah. know the, a queen bee um seems to be this real fertile being you know it's pumping out eggs like a mass factory and uh and obviously the the bees feed the egg royal jelly for you know i think their normal eggs go for like they feed it for two days but if they want to produce a queen they keep giving it royal jelly for five to six days and that will produce a new queen uh, my understanding is the royal jelly contains 28 of the 32 amino acids which is probably the highest amount of you know ones in one single intake uh it, it sounds like a, a magical you know concoction is it you know would that be fair to say you know what's the your understanding around this uh this things that these amazing bees create you know i yes um it's been prized and produced for centuries it was i think initially noted in some early chinese materia medica and also some early ayurvedic materia medica those are the books of ingredients that we use in medicinal systems um the material of medicine if you will <laughs> from the latin 
Um, yeah, it, it, it is an incredibly nutrient-dense compound. What intrigues me is not the amino acid content, but some of the enzymes that you find in royal jelly. Specifically, it has some enzymes that induce superoxide dismutase in the body, SOD, which is a supercharged antioxidant or protective compound. It also seems to increase glutathione peroxidase. That's another really powerful antioxidant enzyme. Um, and those are really important measures for health and well-being. I'm actually aware of an algae study happening right now that th this specific algae that's produced in Spain induces really high levels of SOD. And they just did a male fertility study. It's in publication. And the results were phenomenal. So I think it's the SOD thing for sperm donation for, for, for a high sperm count that makes royal jelly interesting. Yes, it has the amino acids, but you're only consuming a small amount of it. And amino acids need to be taken in large amounts to have benefit in the body. So I think that's a little bit of a false flag um, or, or false indicator of its vitality, unless you're like eating tablespoons of it, and then you probably go broke because it's really not cheap at all. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely interesting stuff, intriguing. I don't think we know enough about it yet. There's a number of beehive compounds. You know, propolis is certainly gaining pro prominence as well. Yeah, type um, and, then, and different types of honey. You're from Australia. You have your manuka honey, which is mm. absolutely magical stuff for your immune system. And then the counterbalance. The bees are crashing, and that's terrible for every other species on the planet. So protect your pollinators and stay the hell away from compounds that damage them. Read pesticides. So go organic, stay away from glyphosate or Roundup because it's wiping out the world's bee population. And without them, uh, we have a problem. We don't have food. So, yeah, <laughs> that is very <laughs> true. Um, we'll yeah. catch you through because um, we're going to wrap it up shortly. I've got to get to the airport. Bromelaine that's found in pineapple koi. You can see that coming in, um, you know, tablet form. And the idea in um, fertility is to, uh, it improves the lining, um, which helps allows for implantation uh, of a baby to get into, on, on, you know, onto the uterus and, you know, grow. Is that something that you find uh, that's that's interesting, that, that these, you know, something from a pineapple can you know, core, which, you, ne you know, you need match of it. You've got to eat a lot of pineapple core, but in tablet form, you know, there's these little theories and ideologies that can help. Yeah, well, you know, bromelain's an enzyme. It's, it's a proteolytic enzyme, so it helps digest proteins just as much as somebody might um, put some chicken or some beef um, with some pineapple or better still kiwi fruit to um, soften it up. For cooking it helps break it down digest it cleave the molecules a bit there you know i've seen bromelain used for injury resolution for allergy resolution anytime there's inflammation i haven't honestly read much about for its use in implantation and promoting pregnancy that's new to me i'd have to take a look at the data it sounds like a coherent idea um, I have no reason not to believe it, but my only concern there would be that that which would um, affect the lining of the uterus um, and prepare it for impl implantation may also degrade sperm a little bit. Sperm are protein, but 
you know, maybe taking it prior to ex sperm exposure would be the way it works. It certainly helps resolve inflammation and background inflammation, high levels of inflammation are very problematic for pregnancy. Inflammation is a danger sign for the body. Um, we talked earlier about markers for wellness. C-reactive protein, CRP, is a good marker for background inflammation in the body, something you might want to ch have checked next time you do your blood work. Right? And that's for everybody listening to this. Um, if you have high CRP, you have some sort of unresolved inflammation. A lot of it comes from bad teeth, could be digestive problems, could be an unresolved infection somewhere in the body. But uh, CRP is an indicator of problems. The last one we'll touch on today, I mean, we can keep going for ages and ages. It's, um, I think we have a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do a part two. Um, Macaroo. You know, a lot of people say it's for libido and that, but also they're saying there's uh, fertility, uh, you know, um, increased fertility uh, around that as well. Yeah, maca is an intriguing plant. Really, really love, cool. It's actually, it's I love the smell of it. Plants. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the vanilla, cocoa-y kind of yeah. Amelie flavor to it. It's in the potato family and it grows at high altitudes in the Andes Mountains of Peru. Um, and a very valued plant. For a while, it was actually terrible what was going on because China went into this market craze for a while and they were sending buyers and gatherers to the Andes and like they wanted the maca really badly and it bit up the price. And then they started like literally killing people for their maca supply. It was awful, oh. terrible, terrible stuff. But let's go into maca a little bit. First of all, there's a lot of sub varieties of maca. It's not one plant. It's a family of plants. There's tens of thousands of species of potatoes. Maca, there's black and blonde and red and other varieties of it. And yeah, there's incredible data on maca and the maca means, which is a class of compounds from it, having tremendous impact on hormonal health for women. Some types of it are really good for PMS. It's one of my go-tos actually in polycystic ovarian syndrome. I've used it in menopausal health um, formulas. And then on the dude's side, it definitely there's maca that can improve fertility, testosterone function, sex hormone binding, globulin levels, so yeah, maca is a powerhouse hormonal herb full of these steroidal glycosides, which are hormone binding and promoting and aiding and sometimes limiting compounds. So yeah, maca is pretty cool stuff. There's others too that I like quite a bit in that class of like these deep tonics. I, I like shilajit also in that same class of deep tonifying compounds. Wow, you have to... um email me some of these names because I don't have no idea how to spell them like that Shahadi mm. and uh, that one there. But I mean, look, we'll wrap it up. But I mean, look, apart from taking your, your prenatal, what five, list five, you know, say like your CoQ10s and all that, like what five would you take on the side um, for females and then five for males? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I hope your prenatal has DHA in it, but you need DHA. Choline is extremely important, both for mom and for the and for the baby. Choline is, you know, overlooked and underconsumed. Super important. I, I count that as three of my five. I mean, really, it's it's that critical because ninety percent of the population doesn't get enough of it. They're deficient. Um, 
like clinically deficient. It's an essential nutrient. Wow. Um, fiber, humble, overlooked fiber and prebiotics and with them probiotic bacteria to keep the digestive system working, the immune system in women, the vaginal, the, the vagina and the vaginal microbiome balanced and healthy is extremely important and overlooked. If the pH is off in the vagina, it destroys sperm. It needs to be a welcoming environment. So probiotics for women um, in the um, Lactobacillus crispatus um, species um, are really important. There's a lot of women's health probiotic formulas. Use one of them. They're helpful for you. They may change the dynamic with conception. That's a real big one for me. What else? Gosh, yeah, there's so many cool nutrients to use, but I, I, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to take all five. I think choline probiotics and prebiotic fibers are extremely important and things that people just simply don't get enough of. In, in the States, 90% of the population doesn't get enough fiber. How can you possibly absorb enough nutrients, get rid of your toxins and have a healthy microbiome, which is producing nutrients and cofactors in your body? without fiber. It's just like, you know, come on, basic, cheap, easy stuff to attain. Let, let's get out there and do it. For us fellas, you, you've mentioned ashwagandha a lot. And I think, you know, ashwagandha or Eleuthero or any one of the many adaptogenic tonics, we live in stressful times, really stressful times. And addressing that stress is extremely important. It helps keep us energized during the day and helps us shut down at night so we can get proper sleep. So that that's incredibly important. Um, I like shilajit. I mentioned that earlier. Um, it's also called asphaltum. It's an ancient remedy from Ayurveda. It's basically ancient plant deposits that have kind of fermented and decomposed. It's found in peat. And it kind of it exudes out of certain types of rock at high altitude. Goofy ingredient, but man, it's powerful stuff. It's a very powerful, nutrient-rich adaptogen. So shilajit gum is really, really cool stuff. You mentioned CoQ10. You mentioned lycopene. Those are definitely on my go-to lists. I think they're incredibly important. And most guys overlook their fatty acid consumption. Dudes, get on some DHA and EPA. Take your omega-3. Incredibly important. So those would be my my, my big ones there. I think that that, you know, and maybe carnitine also is an amino acid. But th those would be my big list there. Yeah, great. I take them as well, the R-carnitine. Um, yeah, look, I mean, we could, there's so many more I could go through and I'd love to uh, keep keep it going, but we'll have to do this for another episode. But right now, Ken, sure. you, you've blown our minds. Um, I think there's going to be a few <laughs> children that are going to be born um, a bit more healthier thanks to your advice today. And, you know, that's what it's about really because informing people on a level of importance that, you know, we just can't take Knowledge it for granted. Exactly. So I appreciate you on uh, and sharing that words of wisdom and I think, uh, you know, a few people are going to be, uh, you know, going out and buying some supplements and vitamins and then improving their diet based on this. Super. That, and exercise and sleep and make friends or go to church or synagogue or whatever your, whatever your preference is. But th th those are really powerful medicines as well. Those relationships, proper rest 
and get out and move, walk around a bit, you know, run, jump, and sing, and have fun. <laughs> Good stuff. Awesome, Ken. Loved having you here. It was one of the most um, intriguing, fascinating episodes that I've recorded because I'm just so passionate in, in as well, and I was feeling feeling that come off you as well and back and forth, and, uh, yeah, it was lovely. So, anyway, we'll talk soon, and uh, till next time, peace out, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll keep in touch, definitely. And uh, if you know any companies needing lab rats and fertility, well, I'll put my hand up and I'll take whatever they want me to take if it's going to help improve, you know, because I'm all about sperm quality. So, <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. So, you have my contact now. So, I'm always there. All right. Catch you, mate. Ciao. Namaste. Be well.